This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting and athletic director search podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by my main man, Gabby Urrutia. Gabby, last time we recorded a uh, traditional podcast, I guess you would say, you witnessed me rant a little bit about what are they waiting for with Lake James. We stopped recording. About an hour later, I texted you, Blake is gone. You were getting some shots up at the local <laughs> the local court. Yeah. First off, how was the shot? Bro, hey, I got to show it to you one day, man. I, I, I like to think I'm pretty money from behind the arc. I think I got a nice little, I think I got something going, to the, something going there for sure. Someday I'll take on the young buck one-on-one. <laughs> we'll see how it all shakes out. But yeah, so big news, obviously. We did an, an instant reaction podcast slash YouTube video with Christopher Stock for kind of our immediate thoughts following that move. Um, and since then, you know, it's just kind of been a bunch of news gathering process, uh, mainly just kind of surrounding what the vision is for the UM athletic de- department uh, moving forward. excuse me, uh, moving forward and, um, you know, what traits they want in their future athletic director, where things stand with that. So uh, if you are, if you all are not subscribed to inside the U.com, I've been dropping some nuggets here and there on the website uh, pertaining to some of the things I've learned with all of this change happening. Uh, But I thought this would be kind of a, a good forum for Gabby to maybe think of some questions um, that he would want to ask me, uh, bounce off me, um, you know, after reading some of the things I've, I've put on the website and, uh, you know, just my opinions as well, uh, supplementing what I potentially know. So Gabby, where do you want to start? Where do you want to go with this first? Yeah, I mean, I think just to start off at the top, uh, you mentioned that Julio Frank sort of is is uh, is viewing the athletics department as sort of a marketing tool, which you know ideally you just want him maybe to have a successful football program in general. Um, but he sees some sort of value in it, on, in terms of just what the athletics department could potentially do for the university as a whole. Do you, right. uh, do you think that this is like something? Because, of course, the Kirk Herbstreit thing came out where Miami's administration doesn't care about athletics. Uh, Julio Frank doesn't right. care about athletics, all that stuff. Do you feel like this is something new that he's maybe sort of figuring out now? Or do you get the sense that maybe he was um, sort of represented as someone who didn't care, but actually maybe felt this way the entire time? Like, where do you sort of stand on that um, after some conversations? 
I think it's been trending towards him understanding, I think is the better way to phrase it rather than caring. Um, I think my impression, you know, Dr. Frank is an academic, right? Um, not necessarily a sports guy, which I think he admits, but at the same time, I think he's willing to put people in position that can help him understand what athletics can bring to a university, et cetera, et cetera. So my understanding is that his awareness of the importance of athletics or the way it can spotlight a school, um, he really started to understand it back at, during Miami's 2017 season, right? When Miami started 10 and 0, they hosted college game day on campus. It was a tremendous scene. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast remembers watching it either in person or on television. It was rocking by Lake Osceola. You had sailboats. It was a picturesque November day. Didn't really get much better in terms of like a, an advertisement for the University of Miami um, as a school, not just a football program. So I would say that was one of the first instances where Dr. Frank was like, wow, I get it now. Um, I think in addition to that, you know, during that season, as he was making, you know, some of his typical rounds, you know, UM president or any college president has to schmooze with a lot of leaders, whether that's politicians, business leaders, um, academic leaders, all that type of stuff. And that season, you know, when Miami was going on their run and um, climbing up the ranks, a lot of people who he had, who he did not know, you know, I, I, I assume like Dr. Frank's wearing a, a UM polo or something like that would just come up to him and say, wow, this is, this has been a fun college football season because college football is better when, when Miami is good. Right. And so he, that also opened his eyes, you know, understanding the power of sports. I think too, administrators in general are understanding how, you know, having your sport, whether that's, you know, the two, the two biggest examples would be college football, right? College football Saturdays, when your team is good, you can do things like host college game day. You, you play games in prime time. Those, those are, you know, if you're doing both of those things in one day, that's what eight hours of, of advertisement for your university. Um, and then the other way is the NCAA tournament, you know, um, schools that come out of nowhere, you know, I reference FGCU, right? When they went on their run uh, as Dunk City in the NCAA tournament, right? Um, there's reports out there that uh, during that weekend, their admissions page at the FGCU website, you know, typically they would get like 2,000 views um, in a typical weekend. That weekend, they got 42,000 views at their admission website. Um, you know, the website in general for the school jumped from 47,000 views to 230,000 views. Um, so, and admission or applications that year spiked 27%. And remember, you know, March Madness is like towards the end of when you can send in applications. Right. So that 
you know, at that stage in the process is a tremendous spike. And why does that matter? You know, it allows your, your school to be more selective about the type of students you bring in. And when you do that, you know, typically the caliber of student is raised, right? I think even at Miami, if we're being honest, um, you know, I think some of Miami's rise to improved academics in the early 2000s, I don't think it's an accident that Miami's football program was highly successful from 2000, 2001, 2002, maybe even 2003. Uh, you know, I do think in some way that correlates as well with Miami's rise in academics during, you know, the early parts of this century. So there is some belief at the administrator level now that, uh, putting your school on the big stage through athletics. And, and really it's, it's logical, right? Um, people wanna take pride in their school. And one way, one way students can do that and alums can do that is through athletics. And uh, I think Dr. Frank is understanding this. Um, and yeah, you mentioned it, Kirk Herbstreet, right? this year when he kind of ripped the administration, it didn't sit well with Dr. Frank. And um, I'll say this, I think that was one point of contention with Blake James, right? Because I get the vibe. So when, so Kirk Herbstreet was referencing a Barry Jackson article, right? Um, and in that article, there's a lot of excuse making, um, as to why Miami's football program isn't what it should be. And one of the excuses was Dr. Frank, right? And I think if you read between the lines of who these sources might be, I'm not saying this is the case, this is my opinion. I think it would be fair for Dr. Frank to assume Blake James is one of these sources in that article, right? Making excuses. And so if I'm Blake James, or if I'm Julio Frank, I feel a little bit blindsided, like, okay, you want to make all these excuses, but at the same time, you don't come to me and ask for things. Um, and so that ties into the change at athletic director. You know, I've been told they want to be, they want an athletic director that's going to be aggressive and demanding for, with what he wants. And, and from what I've been told, you know, look, Miami might not always say yes to everything the athletic director asks for in terms of resources and all that. But, you know, let's say the, the athletic director asks for five things. Maybe Miami can give him three things. The problem with Blake James was he never asked for anything, and yet there would be kind of anonymous complaining behind the scenes. And that type of, I call it loser mentality. Uh, Miami's trying to get away from that in the future. And I think we see this um, with the messaging in general, right? Moving forward, Mike Ryan of the Dan Lebetard Show on, the pod, on Thursday's uh, Local Hour podcast, right? He reported that senior leadership at Miami um, you know, had a meeting with the senior leadership in the athletic department at Miami. And the message was that they are now willing to boost the football budget 
by 20 to $30 million annually per year. And you know, by doing that, they, they want to send a clear message that this narrative that Miami doesn't have the money to compete needs to die. They're sick of it. And uh, they're also putting this out in the public because there, this narrative out there that Miami doesn't have the resources or wants to compete is false right now. Uh, I understand if people feel that way because of how things were in the past, but things have changed. Miami does have plenty of money to use. The university is willing to give money that is generated from the U Health healthcare system, which is you know, generating close to half a billion dollars per year right now. Um, they're willing to give some of that to the football program. And you've heard me rant about how I wished it was time or how I felt like it was time for the school to give back to the football program because now the school has taken that football logo and ran with it on their own and they're neglecting the football logo and that tradition. Um, they're now making that right. And so I think moving forward, the resources, the resources are going to be there. They're being aggressive with changing the messaging, changing the narrative. And I think the hope too, is that that's going to attract even better athletic director options and, and, you know, help sell if they want to make a move at head coach, help sell the future and the vision um, moving forward for the athletic department and the school's relationship with the athletic department, because it's going to be different, I think, than what we've seen here in the past 15, 16, 17 years. And like, it seems like, okay, I mean, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with the head coaching situation. Uh, it seems like at this point, the writing's pretty much on the wall that you're probably going to have to move on. And maybe. obviously, the, maybe, I mean, the name that people talk about is going out and getting a guy like Mario Cristobal. Like, wh what does that look like, you know, with this financial commitment? Like, do they have enough to sort of, like, I know Josh Pate from 24 seven sports. He made a lot of great points about the resources that they have at Oregon. Like does like, do you think Miami has enough to go and, and, t and make that an entire, make an enticing offer where it's just like, you can have at so, least a similar experience or at Miami that you would have at Oregon that would actually draw him over here. If that were the, the situation. So my thinking, you know, specifically when talking about Oregon, right? Comparing Miami and Oregon, right? Off the bat first, if you're comparing the two programs, Miami has the number one edge of all the, of both of those schools, location and proximity to talent. That is number one. Oregon right. does not offer that. I think Oregon has what, one or two top 100 players every yeah. year in the country. The state of Florida has 15 to 20 almost every year in the state of Florida. This is a significant advantage. And this is why Miami is a better job. I understand you look at the past, especially here recently, uh, and say, you know, Miami maybe doesn't care. Maybe that reputation is earned. I wouldn't necessarily push back on that. But again, things are changing now with that narrative, that thinking. Um, and, and I would say this too, Oregon has to have private plates for all their coaches. Oregon has to have uh, tremendous facilities, which they do. In terms of like things, Miami is never going to be able to compete with Oregon in terms of things and those types of resources. 
moving forward, where I think Miami is going to be competitive with Oregon is paying for people. And so I do think Miami is prepared for uh, funding a legitimate staff, including a head coach, including a, you know assistant coach pool, including support staff. Again, this 20 to 30 million per year, my understanding is towards staffing that bump, um, which is significant, right? I mean, that would not include, let's say, any buyout that they needed to go. Is that is that a completely separate pool of money that say they needed to, in this scenario, they needed to buy out Lanny Diaz and they needed to go buy out a Mario Cristobal? Does that come from this 20 to $30 million that they're committing extra? I don't think so. I Do don't you, know for sure, but there might my be understanding is that's annually moving forward. They are committing 20 to $30 million more million every year. Um, and regardless, I've been told whatever the buy, I, you know, uh, I, Miami, again, they're not at this point yet with moving on from Manny Diaz. But my understanding is if they do, they can, they can, the resources are there to bring in a Mario Cristobal to give him a salary, to give him the assistant coaching pool he wants with salaries in that regard, support staff salaries pool in that regard. Um, they are able to offer all that. And this notion, and I like Josh, I'm not Josh Pate, I'm not speaking against him. I think everything he said was fair. So let me say that on the front end. The one, the one thing I did have issue with, with what he said, was this notion that Miami would come to Mario looking for a discount. No, no, no. If there is one school in the country that has the ability to back channel to Mario and know what it would take to get him, it's Miami. Miami knows if they want to go get Mario, they know what it's going to take. They know it's going to take money. There are Mario has so many connections to UM. People know what it's going to take. And it's just going to come down to whether or not Mario feels like he has too good of a situation that he has built at Oregon. You know, it's on the right trajectory. Or if he wants to take his dream job at Miami and build it. Um, that's what it's going to come down to. So Miami feels like they do have the resources to bring in a staff. Now, in terms of buildings and facilities and all that stuff, sure, Oregon's going to blow Miami away. They always will. Oregon's in Eugene, Oregon. Miami is in the most talent-rich area in the country. And if there's anyone who understands that, it's Mario Cristobal, who is a recruiting monster. Let me say this too, right? I think the understanding is Miami's willing to pay in the $6 million range for their head coach per year, right? Six, six and a half. Um, I don't know if like seven, seven might be the very, very, very tippy, tippy top. I don't even know if that's possible, but let's just say that, right? That's me speculating. Um, that is a huge boost. My, the most Miami the most Miami has ever paid a head coach is in the $4 million range, Mark Richt. Um, if you look at the salaries right now, TCU's Gary Patterson ranks 10th at 6.1 million. So if Miami was paying a head coach 6.5, that would put that coach in the 10 to 15 
top paid head coaches in the country right now. So they would not be going cheap with coming at Mario six to six and a half. Now, Oregon could certainly try and make it into a bidding war. They could certainly pay, you know, if, if, if Oregon wanted to come out and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to bump you up to nine and a half million per year. Miami's not going to match that most likely. Um, but I don't think Miami necessarily needs to. Um, if Miami comes correct, then Mario's going to have a tough decision to make. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, How about this, uh, Gabby? You, yeah. I want to ask you, right? Because you, I think for 99% of the country, right, that, that is outside of South Florida, when we talk about how Miami legitimately has a chance at Mario, well, for me, at least, I hope people like people who listen to this podcast and read my work. No, I don't just throw crap against the wall and hope it sticks. Right. I'm not just doing that because Mario is a UM alum and all that stuff. It's because if you if you are. If people around the UM program know Mario's dream job is Miami. In addition to that, he loves the city of Miami. He is a proud Cuban American. Can you kind of go into, because look, you're a Cuban-American, right? Right. For outsiders that might not understand the draw of a Cuban-American returning home, being the head coach at the University of Miami, and why that would mean so much to him, his family, his Cuban-American community, the people, you know, why those people would go all out to bring him home. Can you go into that? Maybe try and explain yeah. it to outsiders who don't get it. And look, I understand why they don't get it. It does. Like if you're just being rational, it probably doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Um, but maybe you can go into like your experience and cause I mean, you kind of live it. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's just something that's just like a really, I think it's just a culture thing with, you know, really the Cuban community. There's such a strong tied family um, I think that's, I mean, I think that's prominent in a lot of cultures, but I think especially just in Cuban cultures, it's just like, almost like don't leave the nest or anything like that. The ability to have like abuela and abuelo around to like, you know, even raise the kids to be around the kids. Um, you know, I think that's just such a big deal. Just like the family aspect of it, of just where, and just the opportunity to just be home. Like, I mean, think about the amount of Cubans in Miami, just how these families got to Cuba. It's, I mean, Mario Cristobal, if he right. wasn't born in Cuba, which I'm not sure that he was, he's a first generation Cuban. Like his parents came from Cuba, fled Cuba to Miami. See, like just looking for a place to, to raise their kids, to give their family a chance for at a freedom. better life for freedom, for freedom. And, you know, I think Miami holds a, a really, really special place in the heart of, of the Cuban community. Um, you know, some people go to, you know, there's a strong Cuban community in a lot of places in the country, New Jersey, there's a big one, New York. But Miami is a is a city that really I feel like like adopted the Cuban community, um, especially that generation of Cubans. And I think that there's just there's a lot of pride in that. And just the fact yes. that he's a guy that grew up here, uh, played, grew up playing baseball at Flagami Park, you know, off Coraway, uh, went to high school at, Col at Columbus, uh, went to the University of Miami, won a national championship there. You know, there's a lot about just coming back and being a part of that again, uh, bringing his kids back home to be with, you know, around the family, around his brother, like his, he has a brother that's here. He has, you know, his parents, you know, all that stuff. 
And uh, I, I think that there's something really, really attractive about that. And again, if it's not Miami, I mean, I'm not sure that you can just throw any program opening on the wall and say, uh, oh, yeah, that would just work. I think specifically because it's Miami, just the ties. Right. And again, David, you've talked about this, the ties to the program, like just like the Columbus ties. People don't realize how much pride people take of, of just going to Columbus. Like there is like if there's a yeah. school in Miami. That deep, people, and this is the high school for people. Yeah, this who is the high unaware. school. Yeah. Christopher Columbus High School, um, a few miles away from the University of Miami's campus in Westchester. Like there is not a high, like if you go to, you know, Gulliver, there's not like a ton of Gulliver pride. There's not a lot of, you know, but with Columbus, it's like, that is like a brotherhood. Like they take that very seriously like that, that, and there's a lot of very, very successful people that came out of Columbus. You talk about Jose Moss, uh, Marcus Limonis. I mean, the list goes on and on of just extremely influential Columbus grads, Alonzo Highsmith. I think that there is a sort of connection there that would make it enticing that would make him sort of want to be a part of this. And with those guys sort of on board already, it's really just a homecoming. That's that's it's unique. It's a unique opportunity to do it in your hometown where there's just such deeply rooted connections that go far beyond the football field. And again, just a part of just being the, like being able to just like pop into a Cuban restaurant in the morning or just being like, I feel like right. just culturally there's so like Miami's so different than so many parts of the country. And I think the opportunity to come home and lead that, especially knowing that it is his dream job. Like, I don't think that's like something that people can deny at this point. Like, I think that being the head coach at Miami is something that Mario Cristobal would eventually want to do. And Oregon's a great situation. This might be and his only chance. To. It could be his, it could be his only chance to do it. Again, I think there's still a lot of things that need to happen, and I'm not saying right. that this it's is not a layup a for Miami. Absolutely, like, yeah. there's a they lot. They gotta of things. come correct. They Absolutely, gotta, yeah. but it's not just oh, it's Miami and it's Oregon. Like I don't think it's as black and white as people make it seem. And I think Miami's willing to come correct to Mario Cristobal to sort of make it happen. And I think if they did, um, it wouldn't be about the private jets, and it wouldn't be about um, the Nike funding and all that stuff. I think if he saw an opportunity where, again, David, like you mentioned. Miami would be willing to invest in people and, uh, you know, the people around the program and all those types of things. I think it would be difficult for him to say no, especially with sort of the backing that it seems like he has right now, just within the community and within just extremely wealthy people that he's very well connected to and has personal relationships with and that really care about him and, and this program and wanting to get it sort to sort of a place where it hasn't been. Uh, with him leading the charge and giving him the resources to potentially build it back into something that it hasn't been in a long time, basically pretty much in my lifetime. So I think that there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, there's the the Cuban roots, just the ties to the city. I, I think it's very deep. Yeah. And I think that's something people maybe gloss over, especially from a national perspective. Well, I don't think people know. Yeah, I don't think fair. people know. And I, I think it's, I definitely think it's worth mentioning. And again, I don't think that's everything. Like, right. I don't think that's I don't just think because of that. Mario Cristobal comes, but I think it's a factor that people really are just sort of not. It's why Miami has a chance. It's why Miami legitimately has a chance. And And it's it's not a small thing, honestly, it's not. So Miami is a big city, but it's also a very tight knit community. Absolutely. Um, So we'll see how that all plays out. You got any other questions for me? Um, I mean, we, I don't know. Do we, should we move on with just because of time or do you No, we're good. We can stick with it. Okay, cool. So, I mean, I just know that uh, you mentioned just like, I mean, the AD obviously has to get in here and all that stuff. And I know we were sort of pounding the table about Mario Cristobal, but 
I guess there there is a sort of process that needs to happen here, right? Like how important is getting this next hire right in terms of just like, let's say the Mario Cristobal thing doesn't happen for whatever reason. Miami has to pivot. Like what, what, what does that situation look like yeah. in, the, in the minds of those people? Because So let's go through. So if you want change with the head coaching position, right? To me, the worst case scenario, and this is the thing to watch for in terms of the landscape when the season is over. Because Manny Diaz is going to finish the season. Uh, if Mario Cristobal wins out and is going to be in the college football playoff, logically, that rules him out moving to Miami this year, right? Um, he's going to be coaching in you know early January, late December with the college football playoff semifinals. If they make the finals even longer, um, and just logically, we've never seen a coach leave a college football playoff situation for another college job. Right. I mean, it's just, if we're being real, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that would hurt the Mario Cristobal pursuit. The other guy of course is Lane Kiffin, right? I think Miami does. There is interest there on both sides. Um, the thing that could throw a wrench in there to me though, is Florida opening. I think the expectation is Dan Mullen and Florida are going to part ways at the end of the year. If they do, I would expect Lane Kiffin to be one of their top targets. You know, Lane is essentially this generation, Steve Spurrier. Right. Um, and, you know, while Miami does offer some strengths that, you know, in terms of location that Gainesville can't offer, I do think Gainesville, Florida is a better job than Miami, right. In terms of resources and, uh, you know, what they can offer a head coach. Um, so the question would be, what does Miami do then if those two options aren't right. there? And this is assuming Manny Diaz is seven and five. So if Manny Diaz finishes the season six and six, I don't think he lasts anyways. Right. That's fair to say. But if Manny's seven and five, um, I think there are conversations of, is it best in the long term to run it back with Manny Diaz, allow this new AD to evaluate him, um, you know, or is it best to chase like a Mark Stoops, right? Does Mark Stoops excite the fan base? I think Mark Stoops would be interested. Um, you know, Luke Fickle, by all accounts, is a Midwest guy. I don't know how feasible that would be for a place like Miami. I like a guy like Greg Schiano. I don't know if the decision makers like a guy like Greg Schiano or if that would excite the fan base, if it's worth doing that move. Um, and so that's why I say like, look, I think if you are reading the tea leaves, it's hard for Manny Diaz to, you know, see him coaching in 2022. And if, and if I'm going to predict, that's what I would predict that he is not going to be the head coach at Miami in 2022. But if all these things happen, um, you know, Mario and Oregon are in the college football playoff. Lane Kiffin goes to Florida, of course. It's going to be tough for Miami to move away from Manny Diaz unless there's like a new name that pops up out of nowhere. And maybe like, I don't know, like the luster is worn off with James Franklin, right? Would Miami make a move there? Uh, because now, I'm not so sure like USC and LSU are as interested as J in James Franklin as they once were. Um, so, 
you know, I, my message with this, honestly, is they're going to get the new AD in. They're going to, they're going to look at the landscape of the college football carousel and go from there. They're going to figure out what the best move is. You know, they, they rushed into a decision to make an AD move. And to me, that was to just put themselves in the Mario Cristobal game, right? In case they needed to be, because Mario was not coming for Blake James. So they, they made that move. But then at the same time, I don't think they're, they're going to just rush into a head coaching move, a head coaching decision, if that makes sense. Um, now, again, am I predicting that Manny Diaz will be the head coach in 2022? I'm not predicting that he will be. Um, but there is a scenario where Miami might have to make a tough decision. And that's why this week's Oregon and Utah game is going to be intriguing because yeah. if you're a Miami fan and you want, you want Mario, um, you want Utah to beat Oregon this week. Right. If you're a Miami fan and you want Lane Kiffin, you want Florida to run it back with Dan Mullen. Um, so those are just, you know, and there's always moving parts and there will be more moving parts that develop here, you know, over the next three weeks. So just some of the things to keep in mind. But again, this Manny has to go seven and five, uh, six and six. He might, he might be cooked uh, no matter what. So, you know, plenty of drama. For sure. I know we've talked a lot about the, the AD and the head coaching situation. Fan favorite, Alonzo Highsmith. How do you think he, I mean, do you get a sense that he is in the mix here in any way? Like, I get a sense people... that they want him inside the building. I don't know if they want him in that AD role. Right. I, I think it's more of like an ops position, right? Like a, a football overseer, you know, a guy who, who knows talent. He was a scout in the NFL a guy who knows what championship level football looks like at the university of Miami, honestly, a guy who knows what championship level football looks like around the country. Cause he would travel to different campuses around the country to scout other college players. Um, so they do view him as an asset. Um, I know they think Ed Reed quite frankly is underutilized in his current role. So I don't know about AD for Alonzo. Um, but I do think, I do think there is a feeling that bringing him into the program would be an asset. And quite frankly, if you're into reading tea leaves, if they make that move, that is another check in the Mario Cristobal column, right? Um, we've already seen one big check in that column with getting rid of or moving away from <laughs> getting rid of sounds mean, uh, <laughs> separating from Blake James. Another big check would be, bringing in a guy like Alonzo Highsmith. I think the AD hire, right? We might be able to read some tea leaves once that hire is made. And, and look, my understanding there, I don't have names right now. I know it's been reported. It was reported Wednesday night that they had not hired a search firm. I'm not under that impression. I think they had a search firm going um, when that was tweeted. So I'm, I think that might be a little mischaracterized. I don't know. My, I'm under the impression search firms going full go. And uh, I do know like they're getting flooded with a bunch of interested candidates outside of the search firm, right? So this is a coveted job. This is a good job. Anyone who tells you different is insane. Um, and especially now that the university is actively looking to change the narrative and spend money, 
more money than they ever have towards making this football program good. Do you think that like, just cause I mean, there's a lot of speculation out there for a program that doesn't have an athletic director. Like how, how do you get the sense that like this next athletic director is going to have to come in with the understanding that, Hey, priority number one is trying to get Mario Cristobal, whatever happens after that might be in your hands, but you know, us as a program need to sort of try to make this happen. Um, and you need to sort of understand that before, you know, because it, it feels like almost like that's I the think sense. they want. I think they want the athletic director to make his own decisions, right? I don't think they want to force any athletic director to do something he doesn't want to do, right? But I'll say this. On the flip side, any athletic director that Miami interviews, they're going to have to tell Miami their vision. And they're going to have to tell Miami who are their connections? Who do they feel like they can go get as an athletic director? So I think that that question gets answered honestly in the interview process point blank period and in addition to that Mario Cristobal is a fantastic candidate beyond his Miami ties right it's not like he's some third tier candidate that they would just be crowbarring in that doesn't have the resume to come coach at the University of Miami so I understand the question and the sentiment but I don't think that's like anything real if that makes sense right got you so Anything else or we should take a break? No, no, yeah, let's move on. Okay, let's take a break. Um, again, check out Inside the U. We're, we're constantly putting updates on the website. I know, I, I think Chris Stock has some good stuff coming on the website, either today, Thursday or Friday, which will be interesting. So as always, we value our, our VIP subscribers. Appreciate your support. And hopefully we uh, make your subscription worthwhile. But let's take a break. And uh, we'll just quickly talk about the five and five Miami Virginia Tech Bowl on the other side. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back. We got the five and five AD less <laughs> Miami Hurricanes against the five and five head coach less Virginia Tech Hokies. So, if you missed the news, Virginia Tech on Tuesday morning moved away from Justin Fuente, and they now have promoted defensive line coach J.C. Price into the head coaching role. I'm not sure what it means. You know, you never know how this stuff's going to go. I'm not inside that Virginia Tech locker room, so I can't speculate. Sometimes it sparks a team to play better, right? Because they didn't like their head coach. Sometimes it, it, it causes a team to give up on the season. Um, so it'll be interesting in that regard. I do think, first off, Gabby, just what's your first impression of Virginia Tech? Because I have to admit, 
I've been so focused on just gathering notes yeah. and stuff that I haven't, I've, I've watched Virginia tech throughout this season, but like in terms of this week, I haven't caught up on like some of their recent games. So what stands out to you about them? Yeah. Um, I, I got to watch them just really just a little bit. I watched their game against Georgia tech. Um, I watched, I was watching some of the clips against Duke here in the morning. Um, I mean, I feel like they're a pretty good defensive team. Like it feels, it feels like they are, they're pretty well coached on that side of the ball. The secondary. Like, yeah. The secondary is, is solid. They, they, they can tackle. I mean, when I was, when I started watching the Duke game, the Georgia tech game and the Duke game had like a three week separation. So their tackling numbers had gone way bad over the those past couple of weeks. I think they were averaging like 11.8 uh, missed tackles over the last three games uh, prior to Duke. But in like, in the, it said like the first six or seven weeks of the season, they're only averaging five missed tackles a game. And in that Georgia Tech game, it seemed like they were doing a, a pretty good job of that. So I'm definitely intrigued by what they can do on the defensive side and offensively, you know, with Braxton Burmeister, you know, just uh, again, a guy that's that's capable of, of doing it with his legs, which has, you know, Miami sort of struggled with. Uh, you know, I points out the season. Trey Turner, I think, is quietly one of the best wide receivers yes, in, in the ACC. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Number 11. I mean, he's a true outside threat, um, really does a lot of great things. They get they're very creative in ways that they get him. Uh, the, the tough ball. thing with him is that the quarterback isn't a great thrower. Yeah, he would he would be putting up bigger stats if they had like a legit throwing quarterback. Do you agree? For sure. I mean, he's a big, he's a big, big time target. Like, and he, regardless, it seems like he's made a ton of plays. I know he has, he has a few games this year that he's just put up some monster, monster numbers. I think in that win over Georgia tech, I think he put up like a hundred and like 87 yards or something like, like something crazy. Um, And he was fantastic. And again, like they, they ran like this fake bubble screen where Trey Turner was like faking block and just sort of, you know, broke off and was just wide open. And just again, a, does a really good job making contested catches and things like that. So I'm going to be really interested about how Miami sort of handles that. Um, especially let's say a James Williams isn't able to play where they're, you know, you're going to have a couple freshmen in Cameron kitchens, Avante Williams sort of back there, uh, you know, sort of having to keep that in check. I'm interested to see how Miami sort of matches up uh, with him on the outside. And, you know, otherwise I think that they're a, an okay team, you know, otherwise again, five and five, they're pretty average. They've, played some hard games. They give Notre Dame a run for their money. Um, you know, I, I think that it's a, I think it's a pretty good team, man. I, I don't they're think good. that there are any slouches or anything like that. I don't think Justin Fuente was the answer, but I mean, you talked about what a team looks like after firing a head coach. I mean, there's a couple of examples of that this year. I mean, USC um, won, won their next game after beating, uh, after firing Clay Helton, Washington State, uh, won their next game after they fired um, Rolovich. And then then you got Texas Tech also who fired uh, their guy and then just got sort of stomped by uh, Oklahoma. So it's a, it's sort of a toss-up, but there has been some examples of teams sort of coming out and playing hard uh, in that next game. So I'm interested to see what happens on Saturday. And to your point, Virginia Tech always plays Miami hard here in recent years. Yeah. Last year, it was the, the narrow... I call it like COVID victory, right? Miami was really shorthanded, almost didn't play the game. Uh, they won by one point, I believe, on a – it was a touchdown pass to my boy Mark Pope, correct? I think it was. I think it was. And, think it was. and so Miami pulled that one out. Um, the year before, we were talking about this out of practice, Gabby. 2019, right? This is what, kind of when the Fuente seat first got hot. Yeah. The week, bef- the week before they played Miami, they lost to Duke at home. 
at at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, 45 to 10, right? So it looked like, wow, this Virginia Tech team is going to be bad. They come out, pick off Jaron Williams, what, three times? Yeah, in like the first quarter. They went up like, what, 28-0, I think? Yeah. Real quick, something like that, 21-0. And they ended up holding on for a 42-35 victory thanks to your typical slow start, strong finish, Manny Diaz, make it a one-score game affair. Um, So, I mean, I I think it's going to be relatively close, right, this game. I would be surprised if it's not a one-score game. I think Virginia Tech has the better defense. Miami has the better offense. So it's that matchup that'll interest me. I think, too, Braxton Burmeister, kind of similar Jordan Travis-ish vibes if that makes sense very good scrambler very athletic quarterback not the best thrower honestly I think Jordan Travis is a better thrower as crazy that as that might sound um but Virginia Tech has better receivers than Florida State does so Jordan Travis had a career day against Miami's defense hopefully Braxton Burmeister does not have a career day against Miami's defense um I do so, think Virginia Tech is a better team. I'm just going to say this. I'm not trying to sound like a hater. I do think Virginia Tech has a better team than Florida State. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's close. Yeah. Like, so that's the type of matchup we're sort of facing right now, just coming off that loss. I think we're playing a better team than we played this past week. Correct. I would agree with that. Um, and the betting line has it at eight. Miami's the favorite. I think it opened at six. The Fuente News pushed it to eight, over under 56 points. So quickly, which one of those would you take? I'm taking the over. Over 56. Okay. Score prediction. What do you got? I'll go. I'll go 30. I'll go 31 27 Miami. 31 27 Miami. All right. I'll go Miami 26, Virginia Tech 25. So you're going with the under? Sure. I think I'm bad. I just went for a, I just tried to hit a random score because I don't really know. I mean, yeah, these are five and five teams. Exactly. It doesn't really matter either. Anything can happen. Who knows? So for those that will be watching, it's 730 kick ACC network. Hopefully uh, you get that channel on at the same time. Oregon, Utah, which one will Miami fans be watching? Decisions. They're going to have to make decisions. Got to make a business decision. I, I, so, I know. I know what we're going to be watching in the press box, David. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'll be at the. I'll be at the Miami game. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, appreciate everyone listening. Uh, we will see how this week's game goes. Should be a close game. Should be a competitive game. Um, it's always good to beat those Hokies. So, till next time, everyone. Take care. Hopefully, our instant reaction podcast following the game has us discussing a Miami victory earning bowl eligibility. Take care.
baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 